Embark on a journey of faith, fellowship and discovery with Vision Tours as you experience Australia's rich Christian heritage firsthand. Visit Christian heritage sites and museums in Sydney and across the Blue Mountains on this 10-day tour. Understand the people and events that shaped the fledgling colony with Outback historian Dr Paul Rowe. Join like-minded people this November with Vision Tours. See tour dates, highlights and inclusions at vision.org.au slash tours. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. With developments around the crisis of COVID-19 coronavirus, you might imagine that the brightest Christian minds around the world have been in demand for their take on how a deadly virus can be part of a world created by a good and loving God. Well, it's our privilege to talk today about a concise, easy-to-read resource that you might want to get a hold of to make sense of what's happening in this global pandemic. Imagine for a moment pausing in the busyness of your day and sitting with a coffee in a coffee shop across from one of the world's leading Christian thinkers. Professor John Lennox is Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at the University of Oxford, a philosopher of science and a powerful defender of Christianity. He's written his thoughts, addressing them to a world in pain. He says Christianity has something to say about natural disasters like coronavirus, and what Christianity says is not found anywhere else. John Lennox is on the line with us from the UK. John, welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much indeed for your invitation, and it's a delight to be in Australia, even in this form. John, I might say that at this point, a brand new release book is already being published in 23 languages. People around the world want to hear real substance to what Christianity has to say about this crisis. Yes, well... It's enormously encouraging to me because when this crisis hit, I'm a mathematician, as you said, and one of the things that struck me instantly was that what we're going to see is exponential growth that's going to be really scary. And somehow I was impelled to sit down because I'm locked down anyway in my home here near Oxford and write. So I just sat at my desk for a week, many hours per day, and sent the manuscript to a publisher on a Saturday night, and he had it in print by the following Wednesday, which is must be a world record. <laughs> the technology allows us to do these things today, and good to have your writings in people's hands quickly. Let's talk about the sorts of things you're discussing. You're saying that the world is feeling very vulnerable right now, and the world is experiencing pain. Yes, I I think it is experiencing pain. It's experiencing physical pain, of course, because of the ravages of this coronavirus uh, pandemic. But there's also a lot of mental pain. And uh, we need to remember that as well, because trying to come to terms with it, with all the spin-offs, the potential loss of jobs, the actual loss of jobs, the uncertainty for the future and the risk to health and supplies 
a lot of that is is causing pain in millions of people's minds. And then, of course, there's intellectual pain, which is not really a phrase we often use, but it's that feeling of being faced with virtually unanswerable questions or questions that are very difficult to come to terms with. Wonderful to talk to you about that today, given that there is this thing called intellectual pain. In other words, people are looking for answers, real answers with real substance that make sense, and they're wanting answers that they can rely upon. Uh, This idea of intellectual pain, this is where Christianity has something special to say. I believe this is absolutely true, otherwise I would not have written the book. And I think Christianity has something to say where other philosophers, uh, other philosophies and worldviews are found wanting, particularly the atheist worldview, but we can come to that. And I do feel Christianity has something to say, but it's not simplistic and it's not trivial, which is one of the reasons I'm convinced that Christianity actually is true. It deals with this head-on, but the kind of answer it gives is not a kind of soundbite answer. It goes much deeper than that, and I feel it's credible because it deals with not only the intellectual side, but also the, the comfort side, because as you look at people's reactions today, you see there are two kinds. Those who are not actually suffering often have more questions than those that are. Those who are suffering need comfort and solace, and above all, they're looking for some hope. And I think it's very important to address that whole range, the whole spectrum of issues that come up all the time. I know you like to contextualise this disaster when talking about issues to do with evil. And mostly when we're talking as Christians about evil, we're talking about moral evil. But you're yeah. categorising this coronavirus as a natural evil. A little bit different for us to deal with? In a sense, yes. It's an unfortunate phrase because the word evil is associated inextricably in our minds with moral evil. But perhaps the easiest way to illustrate the difference is something that and I regard it as extremely important in this context because when we look at people's reactions to this, uh, we see that some people are saying this is the judgment of God directly on individuals or nations and so on. Or if you think of pantheistic religions, they may say, some of them, that this is the outworking of people's karma. They haven't behaved well in their past life, and now they're being judged, so we mustn't help them, because that would just be forcing them to suffer more in the next life. And that's a very cruel kind of view, but we need to face it. And I go to the New Testament and the Gospel of Luke, who, after all, was a doctor and very interested in medical things. But on one occasion, he reports that Jesus was in Jerusalem on the temple area. And some people in the crowd said to him, reminded him that Pilate and some of his soldiers had descended on worshippers and massacred them. Now, that is moral evil. 
And Jesus responded by saying, do you think that the people who suffered there were worse than anybody else? And he said, no, they were not. But then he did something very, very important indeed. He referred to another incident that had happened a short distance away, the collapse of the Tower of Silwam. And he said it fell and killed 18 people. And he said to the crowd, do you think that they were worse than anybody else? And he said, no, I tell you, they weren't. Now, that is the first point he made. And it's very important because uh, the collapse of a tower is what we would call natural evil. The tower just fell. We don't know that anybody was involved in knocking it down. So let's take it. It's one of those tragedies that happens like earthquakes, tsunamis, and COVID-19. And what Jesus was taking from that incident was this, that when we see a tragedy like that, we must not conclude that the people who are victims of it are necessarily worse than anybody else. Now, this is very important indeed. But then... He read a lesson from it, and the lesson was this. He said, except you all repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, of course, he didn't mean that the people listening to him would either be massacred or have a tower collapse on them. What I believe he was saying to them and to us is that tragedy, whether on the small scale or the large scale, raises the question of our vulnerability, our mortality, and then raises questions of God and our responsibility towards him and our preparedness to meet him. So I think we must be very careful before we start saying this is the judgment of God. But what we can say is that this is clearly a huge wake-up call. C.S. Lewis has called it, pain is God's megaphone, he said, to, to wake us up. And I think this is one of the important effects that this COVID-19 pandemic may have. John, we can say that God is in control if you have, as you mentioned, a pantheist idea, a mix of God and uh, all sorts of uh, material things all in together. And then there's what tends to be what most people say when they're looking for an alternative, that this must be in line with what atheists talk about, yes, that if a disaster correct. like this happens, it must be the atheist view is right. What are your thoughts about what atheists have to say about the sorts of pain and the issues around coronavirus? Well, at one level I can understand them because I've got a lot of atheist friends and I respect them. And indeed, as we look at the effort that's being made medically to combat the pandemic. There are atheist doctors and nurses in there just as well as Christians and others. And I think that's wonderful. I believe they're doing that because they value their fellow human beings, just like Christians do. But if we ask why that happens, I think the answer is, from the Christian perspective, that all men and women, whether they believe in God or not, are made in his image, and therefore they're moral beings. Now, here's where my problem with atheism comes. First of all, it gives what appears to be an intellectual answer to the problem and simply says, look, forget God. 
And Richard Dawkins puts it brilliantly, doesn't he? The universe is just like what you'd expect it to be if at bottom there's no good, no evil, no justice. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. That's more or less what he said. A deterministic, grim picture. And as he once said to me, because it's grim, and he agrees it's grim, that doesn't mean that it's false. But I said it doesn't mean either that it's true. So my atheist friends think they've solved the problem. But what they haven't done is done anything about the suffering whatsoever. And arguably, they could have made it worse, particularly if they're wrong, because they have, by definition, no ultimate hope to offer. They can offer the hope of medicine perhaps producing a vaccine and uh, people recovering, but those are all temporal hopes. They cannot offer any ultimate hope because for them, death is the end. Now, my problems begin here because... If it is true, as Dawkins says, that there is no good and no evil, then we can't talk about any problems of evil whatsoever. That becomes a meaningless term. And that, to my mind, contradicts our whole human experience, that we are moral beings, we have a sense of oughtness, we have a sense of right, and we have a sense of wrong. And atheism does nothing, in my mind, to justify that sense. The Russian novelist Dostoevsky, and I spent a lot of time in Russia talking to atheist people, he once uh, said, or at least put into the mouth of one of his characters in the Brothers Karamazov, if God does not exist, everything is permissible. In other words, there's no rationale behind morality. But, you know, the thing is that when it comes to the Christian um, response to this, it recognizes the problem of hope, and its answer to the problem of hope is not wishful thinking. It's something that took place in Earth history about 20 centuries ago, and it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I believe, incidentally, as a scientist, actually took place. But my reasons are given in another book that came out recently, which is called Can Science Explain everything. And what I feel that we've got to say, to cut a very long story short, is this. People are suffering. And what is the character of the God about which Christianity speaks? Well, the central claim is that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And he died on a cross. And putting it very crudely, We've every reason to ask, what is God doing on a cross? Suffering. And it certainly shows that, at the very least, that God has not remained distant from human suffering, but has himself become part of it. Now, that's no simplistic solution, but it's a way into beginning to grasp that God actually understands. And when you put... The flip side of that, that is the resurrection that God raised Christ from the dead. That opens up a huge realm of hope for the future. But of course, it doesn't mean that I or you or anybody else won't die of the COVID-19. But it does mean that we can have a hope that will not be 
destroyed or affected by COVID-19, whether we recover from it or die under it. John, we've been talking about pain. We've been talking about sin and suffering. When Christianity talks about those, sometimes we think we're being very negative, but really we're connecting with a God who knows what pain we experience. Yes, that's absolutely right. And the difficulty is that just like in medicine, you have to analyze and diagnose a disease before you can cure it. And it's much better if a doctor comes to me and says, look, I'm afraid you are testing positive for COVID-19 and you've got to go into intensive care. Then the doctor says to me, look, take a couple of aspirins and you'll be okay. The radical diagnosis is, of course, scary, but it gives some hope of an ultimate solution. And I think that's exactly what we're told. We're told in Scripture that the problem we're facing in the world today goes back to the very beginning of the human race when humans, first of all, allowed sin into the world by misusing their freedom to disobey God. I mention that because the physical pain and fracture in our world seems to be deeply bound up with moral fracture and moral breakdown because what the Bible tells us is that originally when humans disobeyed God, they brought human death into the world. So that's a physical consequence of a moral attitude and that in its turn brought fracture and brought, as Genesis puts it, thorns and thistles, and I presume COVID-19 and everything else into the world. So that original fracture happened, and we weren't there. I didn't engineer it. You didn't engineer it. And here is where Christianity is unique. Because this thing is far bigger than us, and of course we see that today by definition, God doesn't expect us to engineer the fundamental solution ourselves. And when I survey the world of religion, what I observe is that there are many people advising us out there to keep this rule, that rule, and try to earn God's favor and acceptance if there is a God. But Christianity tells us, look, There's such a radical disease in us, the disease of sin, that we can't merit God's forgiveness ever. But the magnificent thing is, and here is where Christianity competes with no other religion. Why? Because it offers me something that none of them offer me, and that is forgiveness and acceptance known now, not on the basis of my merit or something I can earn, but on the basis of what someone else has done, what Christ has done on the cross and through his resurrection. So that there's a radical diagnosis, but there's a radical solution to that. Now, what I'm talking about here is the question of salvation and relationship with God, which uh, pandemics raise, and of course, every illness, uh, serious illness within any family raises. What is our relationship with God? And what is hugely important, I think, is to realize that 
what Christ offers is something that is imperishable. We are informed that if a person trusts Christ, turns away from the mess they've made of their own lives and the lives of other people and trusts him for salvation, they receive eternal life, not in a future day, but right now. And that is absolutely unassailable by any disease, whether we die or not. And most of us will, of course, die of something or other. You know... John, I was day by day. If it wasn't for coronavirus, we're faced with death. People die every day. We see relatives die. It's just well, I say just. I shouldn't. We're seeing things on such a large scale now that death is staring us in the face, and thousands of people that are shouting at us to think about our mortality. John, while death is something that people are fearful of right now, your words of encouragement reaffirm to us that death is not something we need to worry about because God has promised a future beyond this life. And the way that we are in this wake-up call is that we are being faced with our mortality and for Christian believers such a wonderful hope and a strength and a power in that. But nowadays fewer and fewer people have a God dimension in their own lives. Some of us have family members not even thinking about God in this. How do you think that we ought to be approaching our family members for a conversation like we're having today? Yes, that's a very important aspect of it. And my feeling about this is that we approach it not by taking high ground and coming at them with very strong um, messages, but rather I prefer the approach that Jesus used, and that was to ask questions and get into a discussion with people about these things. Ask them questions like, how do they cope with it? Um, And very often people are simply looking for a space where they can pour out their hearts and, and talk. You know, I've been very struck recently by the story in John 11 about the two different reactions of the two sisters, Martha and Mary, to the death of their brother. When Jesus turns up, the brother Lazarus having died, Martha and he have a deep intellectual conversation about the resurrection. Whereas Mary comes to the graveyard, meets Jesus, and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she just bursts out weeping. And what Jesus did was not to enter into intellectual discussion with her, but he just wept. And I think if people can tell that we're sympathetic to their fears and are giving them space to articulate those fears without being judgmental, then we can gently ask what have they got that helps them deal with situations like this. And eventually very often they'll say, well, I'm afraid I don't, but do you have anything? And then we can very gently, and not all at once, uh, try to explain to our family and our friends that we have a real hope. But I find that my experience tells me that it's always best to let the other person ask the questions rather than rush in and become preachy, because people resent that terribly. 
Gentleness is important and in a world today facing physical, emotional and intellectual pain, to be able to talk about real answers and real substance. Our special guest has been John Lennox. His new book is called Where is God in a Coronavirus World? And it approaches these issues of physical, emotional and intellectual pain. And for those who you might know who have an intellectual uh, thought pattern that wants to know real arguments and substance to why they should look to God in this time, let me point you to this book, Where is God in a Coronavirus World? The book is published by The Good Book Company. It's available through stores like Coorong and all good outlets. Uh, Simply also Google John Lennox Coronavirus and you'll find a copy available from all the best online sellers. John Lennox, just wonderful to have you expressing these thoughts for our audience here in Australia. I want to thank you so much for taking some precious time to be able to share these things with our listeners today on 2020. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. And if I may just say to your listeners, thanks for listening. And I have a website, johnlennox.org, where there's lots of material on this kind of thing, including my interactions with people who disagree fundamentally with the Christian worldview so that you can hear both sides. But thank you so much for inviting me on and good evening, Australia. And uh, thank you. And johnlennox.org. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.